Welcome to Ubercube, the podcast where we discuss all things cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. Uberbear, and I'm joined by a special guest today. Why, hello. This is Jonathan, known as uh, Chill MTG. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing great, man. Tell us about yourself and your history in the game before we get rolling for listeners who may not have checked out your awesome YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks. Uh, I'm a enfranchised magic player. Been playing for quite some time. Kind of like all of us, started early at a younger age, took a long break, and then came back to the game. Came back to the game in about 2013, 2014 with Gate Crash, uh, and then discovered Cube, uh, the best format in Magic. No, I, I love Gate Crash just because uh, right, it was super aggressive. Right, if you yeah, didn't have a two drop on turn two, you just yeah, we've made the jokes about Mace's yeah, End before. Uh, Mace's End being the greatest yeah. Magic set of all time. I think our listeners will one hundred percent agree. Long pause, long uncomfortable um, pause. <laughs> but but found but found Cube in twenty seventeen. Uh, you know, just uh, throwing my favorite cards together, uh, and then just been you know working on Cube, uh, meeting a lot of cool folks like yourself uh, in the Cube community. And uh, just really loving it, really loving it. So I've uh, been doing Cube since 2017, and uh, and it's excited to be on the show, man. Thank, thanks for inviting yeah, me. Yeah, I appreciate it. We, we appreciate it. Uh, we couldn't actually, uh, it's just you and I going solo today because my host, Stu, he's currently out. He's on a mini little vacation, so I figured I would take the reins and run with it a little bit and have some fun. Uh, for today's topic, we're going to cover something that we recently enjoyed here at KubeCon, which was... The two-headed giant cube, the elusive two-headed giant, and all the strange mechanics and ideas become behind it. But before we do that, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at Ubercube, and we're going to enjoy our refreshment of the show. Today is going to be very unique because it is currently 10.36 a.m. Eastern Time. So, Chill, what are you having in your current time zone this morning? Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm in Central Time, so uh, here in the Midwest, fall is a coming. So I actually have a Starbucks pumpkin spice pour over uh, coffee uh, with the uh, a full heavy cream there to kind of settle it out. So, uh, you know, don't at me, uh, but I do like the pumpkin spice. Fancy. <laughs> Are you wearing the Ugg boots to compliment your coffee this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, it was going to happen. Uh, it was going to happen. Uh, I, I <laughs> am enjoying uh, the arch enemy of Starbucks, Caribou. <laughs> which is way better. Caribou coffee is actually their caribou blend, which is pretty good stuff with a little bit of hint of like cream, and we are good to go. Other than that, we're going to do our normal not the pop and fizz, but we're going to move on to our topic of the show. And I'm going to start it out. It is going to be a two-headed giant cube, kind of a top-down, how might a curator and or a player work to design one of these interesting weird things it's going to be a battle bond inspired environment that's that's where i actually hosted mine from love that set uh before we even get rolling down that chill did you get an opportunity to actually rock some battle bond when it rolled out uh, i did not get an opportunity you know i was you know i would consider myself back in the day more of the spike mentality yeah, yeah. and so you know uh those sets like battle bond uh, or multiplayer sets. I actually wasn't too interested uh, in those sets, but but I got to tell you, playing your two-headed giant cube out at KubeCon kind of kind of turned me around on that. Opened my eyes. Yeah, the, it's uh, fun. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. It, so yeah, it's probably got that um, unusual. Um, it's got that moniker attached to it that it's going to be EDH centric, but it's not. It's more of two players trying to play their individual game. The way okay, so let me step it back. 
So the way I envisioned this cube when I first designed it, and this is going to be for all the boomers and the Sesame Street aficionados out there, they used to have these two purple giants that would literally could never get along, a two-headed giant. And they one would say something, the other one would go, blah, 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 and the other one would go, blah, 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 blah. And they essentially did not understand a word the other one was saying. That was literally what I envisioned when I first started designing this particular cube. I wanted to make an environment that where you would actually try to design your own deck. You would not share information with your other player because it's unbeknownst to you. And then within our friend circle, we would randomize the idea of who your partner with us, who your partner would be. And then we'd pair you up. And then I just wanted to see the magic happen. I want to see two players figure out how to find cohesion on the fly. Uh, and as Chill just recently said, he and Stu pretty much didn't see what either were building. We rolled out for p- random partners. They paired up and you guys pretty much crushed us, didn't I? Christian and I just got obliterated by you two. It was a little <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, so so even though, you know, I'm an enfranchised player, when I first started playing uh, your Two-Headed Giant Cube, like I really didn't know, I didn't know the rules of Two-Headed Giant. Do you? Oh, 100%. So what you're going to have is it's basically two players. It's going to be it's going to be a pot of four, two V2. And you're going to have a shared life total, which is essentially going to be 30 life shared across each playmat. And whenever you do your attacks, you're actually attacking the singular giant. But the partners can block for one another, if you will. They're able to throw blockers and defend one another. You're also going to, as the two partners, you're going to simultaneously draw and play your main phases and your upkeeps, et cetera, are all going to be in, within succinct and you're able to share knowledge between your two hands. So it's going to create collaboration between two magic players, even cooler if they're strangers sometimes, because you get to adapt a new player's play style, kind of like chill and stew where they just literally had never sat side by side as pilot and co-pilot. And then they just flew in and totally decimated both Christian and I. Who had played together, you know, the sad part is we play together often. <laughs> we got crushed. You guys rocked a Golos deck, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Stu had some Golos and I was on control just protecting him until he could spin that wheel. Yeah, so that's what's interesting about this is one person can be the aggressor as the partner and the other one could be the support or the utilitarian, make, making sure you're uplifting the other player to help them get across the finish line so they could attack the other dual players. So let's kind of go over the basics of what I've built here. You've got a, you're going to have, you're going to draft three packs. It's going to be 15 traditional drafts. You build and choose your partner and then you kind of let the chaos begin. But in my unique scenario, I like to have the individuals build their two decks and then I like to roll for random partners, but that's just the flavor of the month for my play group. Understandably so, something like KubeCon. Uh, no one really wants to 100% get paired up with a bunch of randos because, you know, you want to you want to know who your goose and maverick are. I get that idea. But, you know, to each their own. Uh, in my particular environment, I have a 480 design, which supports four teams or eight drafters. And that can be modified to four packs if you want to see more density within the cube. Uh, like I said, in many of our particular casts, I use a top down design, kind of focusing on the team and partner mechanics, which we'll cover shortly. Normally, like I said, we draft three packs of 15 and then we randomize within our play group. But that's that's to be changed. And as we mentioned before, the partners, the teams start out with 30 shared life. And then in this particular environment, which will be shared in the show notes, I use a lot of jank cards, a lot of fun and flavor stuff. Kind of we talked about before. 
I, I host a lot of squirrels, squirrels, aristocrats, as Chill was talking about. I've got Golos in there for a high-powered level, but for the sole purpose of spinning that wheel. And then lastly, damage is directed at the team unless a card specifies a particular player. And that's very limited in this environment. I want it so that you hit the team. Cards are focused on the word keyword target, which means stuff like sign in blood would be a good example where it says target player loses two life and draws two cards. Well, maybe you don't want to draw the two cards. Maybe you actually want Chill to draw the two cards so he can get the advantage and or you can go across the table and, and two for them if you had two for lethal which is interesting and cool way. Have you ever done that before, Chill? You ever killed anybody with a sign in blood? I, I have. It's it's amazing. No, Yeah, not with a sign in blood. But there was, uh, when we drafted your cube at KubeCon, uh, you know, and cards are going around the table, one of the things that didn't immediately kick me in the face, but then I figured out after I read it a couple times uh, with the way that the uh, target opponent, opponents and players are kind of treated uh, in the two-headed cube environment, you had a card called Scheming Symmetry, which was in there. And let me read the rule text. So scheme, Scheming Symmetry is a sorcery for one black. Uh, and the text says, choose two target players. Each of them searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So, you know, in a, in a 1v1 kind of scenario, you got to choose your opponent, right? But when we're playing 2v2 here in Two-Headed Giant... Uh, and Stu was on my team. I just looked over at Stu and said, "Wait, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose you and choose me, and then each of us are gonna go search for a card and put it on top." Uh, and uh, you and Christian over there, uh, Anthony, just kind of yeah. <laughs> had to throw up your hands and watch us just completely. I mean, it's like a broken uh, demonic tear. It right? is. So that was a cr- cool example of how the cards rules interact. And I know that changes. I know that card is exceptionally OP, and I leave it in there just for the lulls. This is a fun environment. And what I like too about this particular two-headed giant thing is uh, you, it's problem and solution based, right? And what I enjoy watching is the interaction using you and Stu sitting across from me, and you both did the scheming symmetry. Sure, we're probably going to die from it. But it, for me as a curator, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that you two are over there mumbling, trying to solve an equation, right, on the other side of the table so i leave cards like in like that in there in particular even though i know they're super powerful but i'm actually just enjoying the show if you will it's literally a dinner show for me as a curator sitting there like oh my gosh they're gonna get something awesome or maybe they're gonna totally screw it up or they're gonna bicker amongst themselves having no idea what they should get for a solution (laughs) so that's why i introduce those in that environment i think it's a it's a unique joy Right. right as a cube curator just watching anyone draft your environment and just see how they 100% 100% and as we mentioned before uh, battle bond was what really inspired me to do this and to include I actually have the basic lands from battle bond battle bond which have that amazing amazing stadium which I'm looking forward to battle bond too I'm hoping wizards coast rolls that out soon it was just such an amazing uh, amazing set that was able to allow me to curate such a cool cube uh, I do want to give a shout out for some of the inspirations or people who I, I guess, crafted ideas from. And that would be both Tuesday Tastic. Uh, he has a two headed giant cube and Carmen Handy has an amazing proliferate cube. And I incorporated some of the mechanics and ideas they had within those. They really inspired me to to uh, emphasize like counters and more of those targeting interactions. So it, what I like about this type of cube is you can you can pull from other genres like traditional cube is one V one where Chill and I are sitting across the table trying to get each other dead. Whereas this one, I got to look for words when I, the word target isn't necessarily what 
it means in every other environment. And that's kind of what he was emphasizing a minute ago, where that tutor card scheming symmetry wouldn't be so viable unless you're doing some kind of uh, a group slug or a hug deck in Commander. In this particular environment, it's very powerful. And it just it makes you think outside the box as a curator. Within this particular, I have some faux, or excuse me, proxied, or that word that we don't use, altered. I'm going to use the word altered. Altered AB duels, fetches, shocks, and I've got the bonds lands, bond lands, and I have some utilities. And then I run four guild slots. Overall, from a table that will be included in the show notes, just from the design wirework perspective for people to see, the creature count within the environment is about 236 creatures. I've got 12 planeswalkers. I have 56 instants, 69 sorceries. 46. It's, it's a diversity within this cube. And, and it's focusing on cards that really help lift up those ideas of the word target or assisting your partner or going into both a uh, aggressive role and or a supportive role within your team. Chill, would you mind covering some of these supported themes on that first one, starting with partners, please? Yeah. So before we before we jump into that and you know, why, like, why, why do something I learned after drafting and playing this environment? It's like, what would drive a cube curator to really want to build a two headed giant cube? And I, ha- I have a short list of reasons of why yeah. I think this was a great kind of environment to build. Uh, so first of all, I don't, I don't know about y'all. Uh, I know sometimes uh, it's hard to get a full pod together, right? That full, you know, that eight person pod to fire your, your cube with. What was super cool about the two headed giant, it was just me and three other friends, right? So just four of us together can quote unquote fire a draft of two headed giant and then match up and play, right? And so you don't really feel uh, like you're, you're missing out because you don't have those other, other four players to do a full pod. So if you, if you're um, a curator that's struggling to get a full eight person pod, maybe, maybe this two headed giant thing can work out because it is a lot of fun. Uh, second of all, on that, on that same kind of axis, we always don't necessarily have like four or five hours to commit to do a full draft and then a full three matches um, to, in an eight player pod. And if you're just drafting with, you know, four folks total, uh, you can draft and then play a couple matches 2v2 and even even switch up partners, not redraft decks and play again uh, one or two times. Uh, so you can get a kind of full match, you know, league feel in, even though you're not doing uh, a full draft with three full matches. Uh, additionally, additionally, I'll add in that, uh, and again, this is going back to, I was kind of a spike and didn't think I would like this environment. But holy geez, was team gameplay incredibly fun. There's something about working with a teammate uh, to take down, you know, the players on the other side of the table that was incredibly rewarding. Usually when you're in a 1v1 game, uh, all the pressure is on you. You feel like your decisions, you know, you, you might be making the wrong decision or you might feel like you're making the right decision. But when you're in a team context, uh, you're able to collaborate together show each other your hands, come up with a combined gameplay, and you really feel like you're working together, uh, which really put a positive spin on, you know, the 2v2 competitive, you know, competitive portion of, of this game. I'll add something to that, too, to expound upon that. Um, it, it is also a fantastic way to uh, learn learn lines of play. Perhaps you didn't realize you didn't know. Let's just say, for example, yes. I'm sitting next to you and I see you pull off uh, let's, let's use sign and blood. Let's keep it simple. Let's pretend that my entire magic career, I've been using sign and blood to lose two life and draw two cards. 
unbeknownst to me, I never paid attention to the word target. And then I see, and that's how you learn these things. And they seem, they seem very mint school, but then you see another player go, Oh, you've got two life over there. Well, you know, here, tell you what I'm gonna do instead. You guys drop two cards, you're dead. I know that's simple, but that's an example where you may not have realized or understood certain lines of play. That was a very simple one. And I do acknowledge that, but it, it can be a great learning environment. So if you were trying to teach someone or culture someone into IE cube or just learning how to play magic, this is a good way to bring in, like I have a, I have a, young i have a son he's 15 years old i can make him in my wingman and i can show him how i'm making decisions within my hand because it's a very cultured learning environment in addition to it's competitive so you kind of get the best of both worlds does that make sense yeah no exactly it's that it's that collaborative gameplay you know just the specific multiplayer nature of two-headed environment immediately in my opinion moves the spectrum of hey let's spot like let me spike this draft so i can win to more of uh, hey, let's do something cool and have fun because I know I'm. It, it's more of a casual two v two environment. Not to say that the gameplay is not competitive. The gameplay can be very interactive and competitive, but just the feeling being on a team with another person, uh, in my opinion, move that spectrum a less towards spike the draft and more towards hey, let's do something cool and fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Together. Yeah, and then lastly, uh, you know, for reasons why someone should look at building a two at a giant cube. Um, it kind of had to do just do with with variance, right? So, so magic a highly variant game, and when you're you may feel in a one v one format, you know, oh, my opening hand is all lands, or hey, I'm getting you know mana flooded or screwed. That can still happen, right? In a in a single per, you know in a two handed giant game, but you have a partner right next to you, so in theory, your opening hand isn't seven cards; it's fourteen cards, right? And your partner may have a great opening, while you might be a little slower. Uh, to get your lands or get your get your engine going, and it's that it, it kind of reduces variance. Right? I would agree with that. It, it's much less of a chance for both of you to not have your game plan works when it versus just one of you at least trying to. Yeah, fight. and as so we mentioned, those are just a couple. Of as races. we mentioned too, in a particular two environment, the other person can act as your shield, and one can act as the sword. Right. So if you're not prepared, as Chill just mentioned, and you're developing your your let's just say your oath of druids, and you're doing a development. Particular, you want to get all your cards organized. You want to start building up to that idea and control the situation. Your partner, i.e. Stu, to the left of him can then control the environment, lay down blockers, do the necessary board wipes, whatever they got to do to ensure that he can pull off, that Chill can pull off his particular strategy. So it does create, uh, as you said, it does reduce that variance and does hurt that, does bring down that mana screw or um, uh, mana burn type situations, right? Um, which leads into something that's highly thematic that I was leading off before, the idea of partners. And there are some very specific partners that you can include to help this. I'll go over the first two, and then I'll just leave all the names, et cetera. They'll be within the show notes so that you can visually see them. But we'll start out with these first two, and it's Yukima, the Stalking Shadow, which and pairs with Kazur, and I'm going to mess these names up, Ruthless Stalker. Uh, Yukima is – go so, ahead – what does uh, so? What is? Can you read the partner text? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be clear. Like, how does partner? Work? Yeah. So partner with Kazura the ruthless stalker. When this creature enters the battlefield, target player keyword target 
can put Kazur into their hand from their library, then shuffle. So the gist is, is and, and you, you don't know because you're drafting as individuals. And that's kind of where I consider this the achievement unlocked. It happens sometimes. And or you can draft this for yourself if you want to do something fun. But it's even cooler if I'm playing with Chill and he just so happens to have one of these cards. If I play Yukima, totally. he can go seek out Kazur because he'll go, oh, man, I got that in my deck. And he can basically tutor it up and put it into his hand, which is even cooler. But you can also run these within a pair and build behind these and make yourself. You can build a Sultai deck. But let's talk about what these two do. So Yukima, the Stalking Shadow, can't be blocked. When Yukima leaves the battlefield, it deals X damage to target player and you gain X life for its power. Then we look over at Kazur. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, put a 1-1 counter on that creature. So essentially, they're tutors from one another, and it makes for a fun play experience. I thought it's very flavorful. I do realize that the power level isn't the strongest, but at the same time, I didn't want this particular cube to represent power level. I wanted this cube to represent uh, jank and fun and kind of bring in the best ideas of EDH, but the best ideas of cubes simultaneously. Chill, would you mind covering these next two? And it's just because they're fun, and then we'll move past the partners. So another another uh, partner card is Shabraz the Sky Shark, uh, which is an Azorius card for three white blue. It's got flying. States whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Shabraz, and you gain one life. Has an activated ability uh, for uh, hybrid Azorius. Target human gains flying until end of turn, and it is a three three. And it partners with Braylon Sky Shark Rider, and Braylon is three and a red for a three three that states when you discard a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Braylon, and it deals one damage to each opponent with an activated ability of red. Target shark gains trample until end of turn. Yeah, so the idea behind this, and let me explain. I, I recently uh, pulled this off where my partner at the time, Jason, another person that's been on the show recently, Dr. Brinkley, he just so happened to have these other piece in there. And we pulled this off together. All this resulted in was a giant high five at the table. That's all I want for this cube is to be competitive, but also for the lulls. And then if you notice the keyword he read with Braylon, whenever you discard a card, put a one-one counter on Braylon, Sky Shark Rider, and it deals one damage to each opponent. That translates to basically two damage to their entire team because each individual is considered the opponent, even though they're a singular giant. So th that's how these keywords are going to bend a little bit, which leads us into our next subcategory. And I'll cover this one. It's going to be aristocrats and aristocrats uses that same concept. And we'll start out using Zulaport cutthroat. And for one colorless and one swamp, you get a creature, human rogue ally. Whenever Zulaport cutthroat or another creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life and it's a one, one. So the way it'll work out is if one of your creatures died, they'll basically lose two as their team and you'll gain one for your team. And it just makes for an interesting swingy type games. Chill, would you mind covering this next really cool ability? Uh, so this is assist, right? So this was a battle bond mechanic and uh, I'll give an example here. So assist the, what the way the rules text reads it, your, another player can pay up to X or a specified amount of this spells cost. So you and your partner, right, your two-headed giant can work together to tap your mana together to cast a really powerful spell. So the example here that I'll use is a black card from Battle Bond. It's Gang Up for X and a black. It has the rules text assist, and it says destroy target creature with power X or less. So if you have that real powerful creature on the other side of the battlefield, 
uh, you and your partner can work together to destroy that creature by combining your resources. And that's the type of environment I'm trying to foster in this environment is, as Chill mentioned it, this is not intended to be a spike. Sure, there can be two spikes. That's that's cool and horrible at the same time. But what I want is for you to collaborate with your partner. So I'm putting cards in there that force you to solve you know, problem solution together. I want to see the good the two purple heads from Sesame Street to the giants mumbling amongst themselves and going, yeah, 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 let's do that. That's what I'm trying to foster this environment. Uh, the next one we're going to cover that follows up with Gang Up will be Out of Bounds. And for three colorless and one blue, you get an instant assist counter target spell. So again, it's that you're sharing resources as a team. And this art has two homoculi, I guess that's what we'll call it when you have two homoculus, uh, together forming a... Uh, I guess like a, a, a mana shield to protect one another. And that's what I wanted. This, this art really depicts what I'm trying to do with this particular environment. It'll be included in the show notes as well. But assist as an entire mechanic is just, it's just gorgeous for this environment. It, it forces the two heads to collaborate. Problem, solution, let's solve this together. High five and get it done. All right, so Chill, would you mind covering the next portion? And we'll go over how that works. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I just want to talk about battle uh, rules of battle cry and battalion and how they work in two-headed giant, right? So because in two-headed giant, you attack block as a team uh, and all those actions happen together as a singular team, uh, battle cry, for example. So battle cry is whenever this creature attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn, right? So if I'm attacking with my battle cry uh, creature, my partner's creatures are going to get that battle cry bonus as well because we are all attacking and blocking together as a team. Uh, and this works as well with Battalion, uh, kind of harkening back there to that. This is a gate crash yep. mechanic, serendipitous there. That's what that's <laughs> came back to, uh, to, to magic. Uh, so Battalion uh, is a rules text where basically if a creature with Battalion attacks and at least two other creatures are also attacking, some effect happens. And so again, just like Battle Cry, Battalion is going to count the creatures that your partner is attacking with as well. So it's very easy to activate uh, these abilities, and they really make sense to be included in a two-headed giant type. Which rolls up nicely with the idea of Bloodthirst. So because your partner can strike for you and put the points on the board and or yourself... Uh, Bloodthirst is a mechanic. If an opponent was dealt damage this turn, this creature enters the battlefield with three 1-1 one, one counters on it. In this case, I'm referring to Bloodthirst number three. Under the Blood Lord of Vaskoth, for three colorless and two swamps, you get a Vampire Warrior 3-3 three, three, flying. Whenever you cast a Vampire Creature spell, it gains Blood Bloodthirst 3, which is kind of flavor text-ish. There's a little bit of vampire presence in this cube, but I'm mostly doing it for that bloodthirst mechanic so that when Chill goes in with that battalion or the battle cry mechanic and he's got the points on the board that I needed, I can then follow up and basically drop a 6-6 on the board because it would have been a 3-3 flyer. Now it gets plus 3-3 counters. Uh, bloodthirst is kind of a one-two punch rope-a-dope type idea. It's a little bit slower, but it encourages that. Hey, can you get in there and uh, can you can you get in there and get a strike in there for me? Because I've got this man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they'll attack in, and then now they've triggered that bloodthirst. Now you play into it, and you get those additional counters on it. Uh, this next one is one of my favorites, and I'm gonna uh, chill. Would you mind covering this next group, please? Yeah, are we are we talking? Absolutely. Which one are you? Before we even start going on, are you currently friend or are you foe? <laughs> well, what what side? I'm of not going to tell you that. You We're going to assume. Go ahead. What do you got? If you're on my side, you're my friend, right? Okay. So so again, the two headed giant and with a multiplayer cube, uh, some mechanics so uh, are quite interesting. 
So friend or foe is a, a mechanic introduced in Battle Bond, and it also is very similar to voting. Um, so let me let me read one of these examples for friend or foe. So uh, here we'll talk about it's Vertus's maneuver. Uh, this is a black Battle Bond sorcery for two and a black. The rules text reads: For each player, choose friend or foe. Then each friend returns a creature card from their graveyard to their hand, and each foe sacrifices a creature they control. So. Right, we're in a we're in a two headed giant game. I'm obviously going to choose friend, uh, yeah, 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 for my partner and foe for the two players on the other side of the battlefield. So me and you know, if me and Stu are on a team, we're both returning creatures to our hand from our graveyard. And uh, for you and Christian, the other side of the table, you're both. Going but to have my, to I include here at Ubercube, we do occasionally enjoy libations, and this can be a very passionate game. And we have had, in fact, games where we're sitting across from one another. And as I said before, the two purple Sesame Street, two at a giant, are not getting along so good. I have seen these spells, and I know it's dumb, <laughs> actually cast across the table going, You, you choose yes, foe for your yes, partner? Yes, and I have seen this <laughs> Like, oh, enough is man. enough. <laughs> Which moves us on to Zender oh. Split's Judgment. For four colorless and one blue, you get a sorcery. For each player, choose friend or foe. Each friend creates a token that's a copy of a creature they control. Each foe returns a creature they control to its owner's hand. Now, you can actually see where that one could be intentional. So that you, And or you can actually do the foe for sacrificing if you want to trigger a blood artist effect. So these have versatility in it. They may not look like that. It may, you may just assume binary, a binary type of direction here, whereas your partner to the right of you is going to be your friend. But what if, and hear me out, you wanted to use this either for a blink effect or to put something in the graveyard so you can get a death trigger. Do you see where I'm going with this? Creates player agency, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't seem so. I love this mechanic. Which leads us over to the next one, which is pretty sweet. Would you mind... Well, let me, yeah, yeah, let me, let me add on here, uh, on the voting mechanic, right? So uh, another example, which isn't friend or foe specific, but it is, it is voting. So, uh, there is a pretty common card in more power maxed cubes called council's judgment, right? And it's a sorcery for one white, white. Uh, if you're not familiar with council's judgment, the rules text states will of the council starting with you, each player votes for a non-land permanent you don't control exile each permanent with the most votes or tied for the most votes. So in a normal 1v1 game, uh, you're going to pick one of your opponent's permanents and they're going to choose the same permanent and then that permanent's going to get exiled. But in a multiplayer game, now both you and your partner can vote for a permanent across the table. Do be careful that your opponents could vote for your partner's permanent even though it's not your permanent. And so you're really able to exile more than one thing likely with this card in a multiplayer environment. So kind of like Scheming Symmetry, that Scheming Symmetry got a lot better. Council's Judgment also increases in power uh, in this two-headed variant. I actually do include uh, the, I guess it was the Will of the Council, and then there's another Council one. Um, I run those type of cards in here because I like the voting mechanism within this. And I also like the fact that it, do, it can go, it can, it gives the player's agency to decide how they want to vote and move around the table, or you could choose multiple targets or a singular target. Yeah. Voting is just really There's cool. There's a lot of interesting yeah, decisions. It makes, it makes for a yeah. weird communication between the partner and the other head as well. I know that Chill was pretty keen okay. on taking this next group. Would you mind grabbing this one for me, please? Yeah, myri- Myriad here. So let me read the rules text. So this next, this next group is uh, Myriad uh, is the mechanic. So Myriad is whenever it or attacks for each opponent other than the defending player, you may create a token that's a copy of that creature that's tapped and attacking that player or planeswalker they control. 
exile the token at the end of combat, right? So if you have a creature with Myriad and you attack with it against your two-headed giant opponent, there are two players on that side of the of the battlefield. So Myriad is going to make an extra copy of the creature you're attacking with. So you essentially get two attackers for the price of one. And then that token will, uh, that created token will uh, exile at the end of combat. So it can really put the pressure on. So one example of this uh, is Wizards of Thay. It is a blue card for three and blue. Uh, It's a creature human wizard. Uh, Power and toughness is three, three. It has myriad, just like we explained. Uh, And it also has instants and sorcery spells you cast cost one generic less to cast and you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash so let's think how this card works when we attack with myriad right we go to combat and i attack with my wizards of thay myriad will trigger for the two opponents and it'll make a copy of itself and now during the attack phase before we get to the end of combat i'll have two wizards of thay out and basically reducing my instants and sorceries in my hand uh, by one generic less so that really is inspiring me to play some sort of combat trick or instant sorcery that I want to get a reduction on uh, that I can play uh, at instant speed, right? Because it has that, it's changing sorceries to be plays uh, with flash. So pretty cool card and a very cool mechanic to have included in a two-headed giant. In addition to that, I run Blade of Cells and I have other myriad cards within here that we'll kind of skip over for today. They'll be in the show notes. But that in case, it's a two-colorless artifact equipment, equip four, equip creature has myriad covering all the different things that uh, Chill just covered with you. And that allows you to put myriad on anything. So you can get multiple ETBs off of creatures, for example. Imagine putting this on a Rex Age, right? I know that just cost you a billion. You just essentially paid six. But now you've got X every turn whenever you attack. And if you can get through the attack, you can do you can take out multiple targets. And that's why I added that mostly to just give other options across, you know, this opens up a whole new layer of the onion, right, for dynamics that can happen on the field. All right, we're going to move over to another section, and this is a favorite of mine, and it's going to be a polymorph package. And I, I, I've i seen this come up in cube forums often, like uh, just that one more card to tip over the edge that I want to include polymorph within said powered vintage environment. And I didn't have to wait. I decided, nah, I'm not going to wait for that critical mass. There's some cards in there that just do this amazing. And the first one is, in fact, Polymorph. And for three colors and one blue, you get a sorcery. Bury target creature. It could be any target. That's what I love about keyword target in this environment. That creature's controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until a creature card is revealed and then puts that creature into play under his or her control as though it were just played. That player shuffles all other cards revealed into their library. So essentially, if Chill was playing Squirrel's Nest and he made a little cute squirrel out there and he's running Eldrazi in his deck, I could, as his partner, essentially polymorph that or vice versa and then cause him to you know, get rid of said squirrel and start flopping over until he gets, we'll just say, some Titan or Eldrazi or big, nasty, Terastodon, doesn't matter. But it, it, it's such an amazing mechanic and it's definitely rolling dice. It's very Vegas style magic and I love it. And I cover that again with one more example here, which will be Proteus Staff. And for three colorless, you get a artifact. And for two colorless and one blue, tap. Put target creature on the bottom of its owner's library. That creature's controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a creature card. That player puts that card into play. 
the rest on the bottom of their library in any order. Play the stability only anytime you could play a sorcery. This is another one of those unique effects where you can convert a squirrel into a triplicate titan. I just, I just, I've pulled this off and it kind of correlates into that big boy cheaty. I've got this interesting sneak and show hybrid that I put in here and I just absolutely love it. Chill, would you mind covering the next voting card? Some of these are very interesting and you actually alluded to one of them a few moments ago. Yeah, I mean, so I think the voting cards are just very interesting because they just allow for so much dynamic gameplay between you and your partner and the two-headed giant opponent on the other side of the battlefield. And, it, and voting is just one of those fun mechanics that, that in a 1v1, it's kind of linear, right? But when you get to the 2v2 team gameplay, it just really adds another layer that you don't get in a normal cube. And I think that's just a great, uh, another great aspect of the two-headed giant. Yeah, the one that you were talking about before uh, was actually, I couldn't remember it when you were talking about council's judgment. And I believe that one, that effect was will of the council, right? Uh, yeah. The other mechanic that is council's dilemma. If you wouldn't mind, I'll cover one of those just as an example is capital punishment. And it costs a billion mana, but it's so interesting. For four colorless and two swamps, you get a sorcery, Council's Dilemma. Starting with you, each player votes for death or taxes. Each opponent sacrifices a creature for each death vote and discards a card for each taxes vote. I mean, you can see where that's it, it, it cost a billion. Choose your medicine. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But medicine. isn't that just like so? That's what I'm trying to foster with this environment. And I think that a two headed giant environment really allows you just to go a little nuts here. Yeah. If I was looking at this from a power min max level, you just pay six mana to do a thing. But, and we can't even cooperate on our mana because that is important to note. In a two headed giant environment, you cannot share mana pools unless the card specifies. Yeah, unless we have that assist. Which also upgrade. says the same thing with like, you can't equip someone else's thing on them. It's, it's it, you have your individual map, your individual play mat in front of you. But these cards allow you to bridge, bridge that gap and work together you know, collaboratively. And that's what I love about it. I'm going to cover this next section because we kind of alluded to it and it's going to be squirrels. Oh my gosh. And yeah, if anybody's been listening to the pod recently, you know, I'm actually in love with squirrels. I found a way that, you know, I was thinking to myself one day, like, oh, this is getting a little too min-max. I was kind of putting too many cards in there that just didn't represent Anthony as a curator. And then I had this whole binder just full of squirrels. And I was flipping through it one day, and I'm like, oh, my God, yes, we're totally 100% doing this. And what it allowed me to open up this whole new world, right, of I could use the polymorph mechanics or the aristocrat mechanics, but I could do it in such a fun, janky, fun, exciting, we're going to enjoy a beer on a Friday night, four of us sitting down laughing, Chatterfang, the Squirrel General, will do this for you 100%. For two colorless and one green, you get a legendary creature, Squirrel Warrior, has Forest Walk, which can be very powerful if one of those opponents just happens to have a forest. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many 1-1 one, one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. And then for one swamp, sacrifice X squirrels, target creature gets plus X, minus X until the end of the turn, and it's a 3-3. Three, three. This card just creates this whole new, um, because there is a token theme hidden within here, so Chill might be making soldiers... And, and he might be passing them over to me or giving the ability with one of his target cards. I then get squirrels on my end of the fence. And then I, we can do the polymorphs. We can do the aristocrats. It gets pretty nutty. It just creates this interesting, funny dynamic within the cube. And then I'll follow that up with Squirrel's Nest, which is another fan favorite of mine. It's one colorless and two forest. You get an enchantment or enchant land. 
Enchant land means pretty much target. I can put it on chills if I wanted to, if you're my partner. Enchant land has tap. Put a 1-1 green squirrel token onto the battlefield. You can see where you can set yourself up as... Um, you could make a support mechanism. I could hand this off to Chill and give him the ability to start defending himself while I'm building up my strategy. It just creates this interesting dynamics when you're working together with a partner. Uh, Chill, would you mind covering this next subsection, please? Okay, yeah. So, hey, thanks, Anthony. The the next uh, kind of theme mechanic that we want to cover here is support. So I'm going to give an example of a card here. So this card is Together Forever. It is a white enchantment for white, white, and it states when together forever enters the battlefield support two. So support uh, mechanic says put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. And so other rules text on this card is one uh, activated ability for one generic choose target creature with a counter on it. When that creature dies this turn, return that card to its owner's hand. So this is getting back to Anthony's emphasis here on target creatures. So, right, I can target my creatures. I can target my partner's creatures, uh, as well as when I had that support mechanic triggers, uh, putting a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Again, I can help myself out. I can help my partner out. Uh, and it's really just emphasizing that team nature of the yes, game. Yes, and then Capture to the Leg Axe is another card that kind of does this as well. And for one colorless in Selesnia, you get an enchantment or enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. When Capture the Leg Axe enters the battlefield, support too. So you can see where uh, you can basically, you know, it's that duck and roll. I can, I can drop down that one creature, get it out of the way, and then Chill can come in with the attack because I just gave him two additional counters on his creature for potentially lethal. I love these type of cards, that one-two punch. The next mechanic and i'm in love with this mechanic is surge and the way the surge ability even it works is you may cast a spell for a surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn two examples of that would be overwhelming denial which is basically a counter spell that can't be countered and then it has the reduced cost of for two blue opposed to its actual mana value would be for two colorless and two two blue you get a really expensive counter spell However, the surge cost greatly reduces that. Another one that I'm in love with is Crush of Tentacles. And for four colorless and two blue, you get a return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. If Crush of Tentacles surge cost was paid, put a 8-8 blue octopus creature token on the battlefield. And the surge cost is essentially three colorless and two blue, reducing it by one. You can see where this kind of sets up, gets everything out of the way. And then you're left with, on your side of the board, a 8-8 blue octopus, which is terrifying. The next one we kind of talked about before is there is a token sub theme. And then I will have in the show notes included as well, a breakdown of the individual guilds. Well, that pretty much, uh, that was just an, this was intended to be an overview of the two-headed giant environment, which we recently got to play at KubeCon. I'm so glad that Chill got to join for that. Uh, For anybody that's interested in how to build one of these, I will include within the show notes, both a link to the Cube Cobra link for my design, as well as it, within the particular show notes, I'll have images, et cetera. So you can read some of these cards if you're lost about these interesting mechanics such as assist and surge and how aristocrats works in this environment. It just opens up a whole new dynamic of play that just, it, it doesn't even have relevance in a 1v1, but suddenly you've got this partner. It, it's Would you agree, Chill? Just the fun factor is heightened so much in my a personal opinion. I, I 100% agree. Again, I did not expect this is no this is no offense to yeah. you, right? I did not expect your two headed giant cube to be as fun as it was. Again, I had the wrong 
mentality. I didn't have the right sight picture. I'm like, two-headed giant, that's casual. This is, I want to play competitive. I want to spike this thing. But man, I, I was just so blown away with just how much fun it was working with a teammate to and playing magic. And that's not necessarily even something that you get in Commander and EDH, right? Because that's a 1v1v1 v1 v1 right, right, right. format. Which, but, but the two at a giant, the shared life totals, the, the, the using your resources together, the, the mechanics that you had built in there with assist and surge, it really just made a lot great gameplay and really fostered that collaborative environment. And I personally loved it. Okay. And so, and I do also just want to kind of make a pitch to all the cube curators out there or the potential cube curators. Uh, if you're looking to make a battle bond cube, the, the, the barrier to entry is really quite low. I, I think a lot of people probably worry like, oh, hey, I need to get the best fixing. Like, I, you know, Anthony, you mentioned you were running some some proxy to dual yep. lands. Uh, and proxying is always, always an answer. But what's cool, uh, what Wizards has done with the two-headed giant or the, the battle bond sets, they've created these dual lands that work specifically in multiplayer formats. You know, for example, in battle bond, uh, right, they had cards like Bountiful Promenade, Luxury Suite, Morphic Pool. These are lands that enter untapped if you have two or more opponents, which you always have in a two-headed giant game. And these lands tap for two different colors of mana, so you're getting that excellent fixing with such a low barrier to entry. And so I think I would just urge people like, hey, look at look at two-headed giant. This seems that this is a super fun format to play low barrier of entry to building a cube that is going to function and just suit a lot of fun mechanics uh, that you can include. And I would highly recommend folks uh, to take a look at your cube, Anthony, on uh, Cube Cobra for ideas of themes and mechanics for which they can pull from to support. All right, cool. Um, so, Chill, would you mind? Uh, so before we start going into our socials and close out and our happy cubing at the end, as we always do, would you mind plugging <laughs> your particular channel and telling us about how other listeners might find your content, which is amazing, by the way, totally UberCube certified, FYI. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, I totally appreciate it. You can find me in two locations. First, I try to stay at least somewhat active on Twitter, and I am at, at ChillMTGTV uh, on Twitter. All wholesome content, uh, trying to just uh, build that cube community. And then every Friday, you can find a new video from me on YouTube. Uh, the new YouTube handles uh, program is pretty cool. So I am at ChillMTGTV as well uh, on YouTube or just search ChillMTG. Uh, I focus on vintage cube content. I'm starting to branch out a little bit, but if you like a chill, <laughs> if you like chill content, uh, super relaxed, uh, have a good time with it, highly edited focus videos that respect your time. Uh, please come check me out uh, on YouTube. Give me a thumbs up and, and I super appreciate it. But really, uh, again, the goal is just to build that cube. Community. And yeah, I would agree um, not to toot his own horn and pat his back, but I would say every time I watch a show, every time I either learn something or I pick up a new card that maybe I should try out because he just does these amazing evaluations. And then what I complimented him when I first met him is one of my favorite things he does is he does this punt idea. And it's just, it's just this interesting way of saying, Hey guys, I've made a mistake. Uh, probably shouldn't have done this line of play, but I'm going to put it out there so everybody can learn from this as I am too learning from it. And I just find that so interesting. And it, the level of humility and interaction with his audience is so strong. So I highly recommend you check out his particular content is Awesome. Um, other than that, we're going to move over to our socials. So if you love the show, and we truly, truly, truly hope that you do, myself and Stu and all of our other hosts would truly appreciate a five-star review on your favorite player. You can also... 
give it a five. Yeah, star. give us the five stars. I mean, if they're give or you can give if you can give a six, that would be ideal. Uh, find us at Twitter <laughs> at UberCube MTG Pod, or you can reach us at UberCube MTG Podcast at gmail.com, or you can link us on Discord at or excuse me, hashtag UberCube, where we just we're starting to get the really conversation going. Got some pack one, pick one, some interactions, etc. And then lastly, we have a Patreon at UberCube. It is a landing site you can check out with sweets and stuff. And then I'm also working, and I have mentioned this before, I am working on merchandise to help support the show. Other than that, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at Uber Cube, and we're going to say, Happy Cubing! Happy Cubing! <laughs> <laughs>